Hey, Forge family. I greet you today in the name of Jesus, risen King. So let's look quickly at episode number 14. It's what went out last week. If you recall, there were four writers of the New Testament documents, all of them apostles, who believed that the return of Jesus was imminent. Like, like just around the corner of today, and perhaps before tomorrow dawns. They thought it was right then. So Peter, in his second epistle, he wrote... And he said that God has a totally different relationship with time. You see, he, he existed before time was created. Then he, then he created it. And he fully is present and interactive and participating with us in time. And he will exist after time ceases. Now that said... When Peter preaches that the end of all things are at hand, okay, there is expectancy. So when that messenger hand-carried a handwritten document from village to town to village to town from, on that road from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea, right at the heart of Asia Minor, whether it was an individual or a team, and, and they read those words out loud from Peter, by Holy Spirit, they raised expectancy. Okay, And what Peter does then is he turns and he teaches us what to do with that expectancy. He said, get sober, get collected, get centered, get serious for the purpose of prayers. Second, he says, get hot, stay hot in your love and your devotion in one or love, you know, use God's love to care for one another. Be devoted to one another. Thirdly, he says, get ready to be hospitable to strangers. So the messenger who came, bearing that hand dictated, you know, handwritten dictated, preached series of lessons from Peter. He was a stranger when he got to those towns, and it was this instruction where Peter says, get ready to be hospitable to strangers. He's thinking specifically of missionaries. He's thinking of those who bear the scriptures or who are fleeing from persecution. They come as strangers, but they're brothers and sisters. And then fourthly, he says, get about using your spiritual gifts, the special gifts given you by Holy Spirit. If you're going to speak and you've got a gift for it, you are to speak what God says. No more, no less. And then if you're to serve in the strength of Holy Spirit, the strength that God has for you, okay, you do what God says to do, no more, no less. And who gets the glory out of that? He does. He gets the glory of your response and your obedience. All right, let's pray, Forge family. Lord, uh, the Forge family is gathered around this podcast, and so are brothers and sisters who are scattered abroad. And so we say, Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We honor you. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Lord, we are recipients of that. We're blessed by that. Risen Jesus, King of our hearts, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your intercession before the Father at all times on our behalf. 
And then, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for directing the Apostle Peter's words to us. Help us apply them, not just listen to them. Amen. All right, Forge family, let's open 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Follow along, get yourself a text, pause this if you need to, but uh, follow along in the text of Scripture. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So just like the listeners who had to listen to the reading out of this circular letter. See, many people could speak gutter Greek, marketplace Greek, but they couldn't read a lick. Literacy was not part of that culture. So these letters were orally transmitted. They were hand copied out, orally transmitted, and then the original went down the road with the messenger to the next church. So we too are addressed like them as beloved ones. Those who are loved by God with his own kind of self-sacrificial unmerited love. So let me say it again. He loves you, Forge family. He loves you. So Peter uses the words out of Proverbs 27, verse 21, to introduce where he's going with this. Let's read that. Proverbs 27, verse 21 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace for gold, and a man is tested by the praise accorded him. <clears throat> okay, so what Peter is quoting is, he's quoting out of the Septuagint. He's quoting out of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Literally, the word in Greek means the burning. It, it, it's a, it's a, a consuming, burning thing. But it's the same word that's translated furnace. And, and in this case, it is a smelting furnace. It's one, something that is used to extract pure gold, pure silver, out of, of ore, an ore body. Okay, an ore body could be just a rock. And so what you do with that rock is you pound it, you stamp it, you crush it, you turn it into powder, okay? And then you put it into this furnace, and the furnace separates out the dross and the slag and the, the throwaway stuff, and what runs out of that furnace is pure gold and silver or copper or lead or whatever, whatever the metal you're going for. Okay, the process is identical. Okay, if you take a sample, an ore sample to an assayer, he will do the same. He'll pound it, he'll crush it, he'll put it in a, in a crucible. What, what he's, he's not looking for the, the dross or the slag. That's going out in the heap out the back door. What he wants is... He wants to be able to weigh and, and report to you how much purity of gold or silver is in that sample. So Peter turns and he says, Do not be surprised as if this persecution is some strange, alien, foreign thing that's happening to you. This burning, horrible, fiery trial that you're going through, don't be surprised by that. Verse 13 says, Instead, 
you participate, you partake, you share in common, is the way it ought to be translated, with Jesus who suffered and suffers when we do. Now, this is not the suffering on the cross that takes away sins. Only he could do that, and it was done once and for all. But when we suffer for his name, he stands with us. Because when we suffer for righteousness' sake and we endure rejection, we are like him. And he is with us in that process. Peter turns and he orders us to keep on rejoicing. All right, let me insert here a bit of an extended thing out of Acts chapter 5. All right, because here's where Peter's testimony kicks in. Peter and John and a number of the apostles are preaching, teaching, they're speaking with the people, and they're, and they're saying, oh, bring the sick, bring the blind, bring the lame. You know, bring the leper. You know, bring whoever you can bring into the temple compound. All right? And they were praying for them, and they were being healed, and there was much joy and gladness. And it says in the, in the early part of chapter 5 that the, the chief priest and the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They were consumed with jealousy that the people were turning to follow these followers of Jesus, the preachers in the temple. So they laid hands on them. They sent the temple guards. They seized these apostles, threw them into prison because it was late in the day and, and they couldn't get a quorum together to do a judgment on them. In the middle of the night, an angel comes. This is the first of two angelic releases from prison that Peter personally experienced. Two that we know of in scripture. Angel comes releases the prisoners. Their chains fall off. They walk past the guards, and he says, you go back to the temple and you speak to the people in Jesus' name. And as they go out, he relocks all the doors. And then the angel departs. Guards come in the morning to deliver the prisoners to the judgment of the, the Sanhedrin, to the council. And they get there, and the, uh, the guards are on, on post duty in front of it, and the door is locked, and they get inside, and nothing is inside. No one is in the prison. But they can hear something happening over in the temple courts, and they bust it over there, and there they are. They're the men that they personally chained and shackled and locked away, and they're in the temple courts again, preaching. So they lay hands on them and drag them up in front of the, of the Sanhedrin. And, and the Sanhedrin is enraged. They said, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. We told you to shut up about this Jesus. But you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, Peter says, Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God and not men. And then he goes on and talks about the fact that Jesus' death on the cross is really laid at the feet of these leaders. Well, at that point, they want to, it says they want to slay them. They want to kill them. They're dead meat. But a man named Gamaliel stands up and says, whoa, wait a second, brothers. If you recall, we have had a number of those who claimed to be Messiah. A number of those who've risen up. And hundreds followed them. Okay? They were crucified and they died. They passed on. This has happened repeatedly. So how about if we just 
give them some space to fail. Let's see if this lasts. Okay? And we'll see if it's God. So the Sanhedrin, the council, took his counsel. And they said, okay, we're going to do that. Verse 40 says, they took his advice. And calling the apostles in, they flogged them. They beat them bloody. And ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And then released them. Sent them on their way. Verse 41 says this. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name, for the name of Jesus. So Peter is saying to the people in Asia Minor, he's saying to us, keep rejoicing. If you're suffering, keep rejoicing so that when Jesus appears, you may be overjoyed. It's a combination of two Greek verbs here, and it's intended to be, it isn't just joy, it's exultation, it's joy upon joy, it's an unlimited joy. In verse 14, okay, Peter uses the word revile, all right? That's a word that's very familiar from Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus uses the same word when he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, he says, blessed are you, Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when men cast insults at you. That's, that's reviling you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, etc. Okay, but how did he start verse 11? He used the word, Greek word, makarios. It is the word for blessed. Blessed are you when men revile you because of my name. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Joyful are you. Even prosperous are you. Spiritually prosperous are you. Let me read some words by Kenneth Wiest. Kenneth Wiest was a Bible scholar in the 30s and 40s, began to publish his material just during World War II, a very insightful scholar. He said, but, and here's what he says, and I'm going to say it to you twice because it's that good, but not only is the fact of persecution an indication of a spiritually prosperous life. Say it again. Not only is the fact of persecution an indication of a spiritually prosperous life, but also of the fact that the Holy Spirit is resting upon you as a Christian. So, Brother Kenneth says, you know, evidence that you're spiritually prospering is you're going to get persecuted for that. Now, the inversion of that, brothers and sisters, is if you're not being reviled and slandered and questioned and shouted down, okay, Maybe you're not as spiritually prosperous as you think you are. I'll let you think on that one. Okay? Peter continues. He says, The Spirit of God, even the Spirit of glory, rests on the child of God who is being persecuted. 
Now, there's some manuscripts uh, that are fully vetted. They're fully accepted manuscripts of the New Testament that say it slightly differently. Okay? And, and I like the reading that says, it is the spirit of glory and power that rests on the child of God who is being persecuted. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three friends of Daniel, who were men from Judah, taken into captivity in Babylon? All right? And they would not bow down and worship this huge idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was enraged. He has them bound and thrown into a fiery furnace. The man who threw them in died because the furnace was heated so hot that even getting that close was terminal. It was lethal. The soldiers threw them in and the soldiers died. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fourth figure were seen to be not just surviving, but thriving, walking about in the flames, covered with glory. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is what it says. Got to turn back a page. Sorry, here we go. 15 and 16. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or as a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed for in that name. Let him glorify God. Peter's saying, hey guys, don't do what you did before. Don't go back and suffer for wrongdoing. Okay? Talks about the murderer, the thief, the evildoer. I think he uses the word meddler. Okay, it's a busybody. Okay, it's, it's another way to translate that is someone who is a self-appointed overseer of other men's affairs. Brothers and sisters, you, in every church, sometimes, not in every church, but often in church, often in church, there'll be someone who's trying to build an empire by listening, by being the, the keeper of other people's secrets, by um, being aware of what's going on in that family and that family and over there. And, and, and they're in the process of consolidating a power base. And Peter says, don't go there. That's akin to murder and thievery and evil doing. Now, um, he says, but if you suffer as a Christian, okay, that you're blessed. So this word Christian was first used of the followers of Jesus Christ about A.D. 50 in the town of Antioch in Syria. It was a put down. It was a slander. It was a, it was a railing, you guys are little Christs. Okay, it was intended to wound the Christians. But instead, they took that title to their hearts and they said, you're exactly right. We are just like him, only in micro. So the Greek word family for Caesar is Kaisar, spelled K-A-I-S-A-R. And those who worshipped and served the, the Caesar, okay, 
in the Roman Empire, the Kaiser, if you will, they became known as Kaiserianos, which was simply those who worshipped and served Caesar. Christianos, on the other hand, were those who worshipped and served Christ. Rome saw the imperialism of Christ being lifted up as king of all things. And, and they saw that as a threat and a challenge to the imperialism of Caesar. And they followed up with ten bloody persecutions over a couple of hundred years poured out on those who bore the title of Christian. All right, let's read chapters, chapter 4, verses 17. It is, you know, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, then what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Okay? Now note what Peter says. He says the judgment is to begin with the household of God. We come first to be judged. But if you recall, we have been judged righteous because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus that takes away all sin. And because of that judgment, we are made righteous with G by Jesus, with Jesus. That gives us entree to the Father. We experience forgiveness. All sin and guilt and all that old drech, it's wiped away. And the, what waits for us is sonship. And we experience fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what is the result when God judges one who willfully rejects the sacrifice of Jesus? The text of Scripture in multiple places says that individual is already condemned. And it's to that point that Peter quotes um, from Proverbs 11.31, where it says, And if it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Okay? Other places, and we actually quoted it a number of weeks ago, it says, you know, that evildoer, that wicked one, looks like they're prospering now, but the Lord says, I'm going to remove his name forever. That's judgment. Verse 19 talks about uh, the business of trusting your soul to the Creator in doing what is right. It's a restatement, if you will, of chapter 2, verse 23, where Jesus entrusts himself to him who judges righteously. Now, the word entrust is paratithesthai, and it means depositing something precious with a trusted friend. Okay, the example of which is, you know, a, a man is leaving on a journey and he takes his most precious things out of his house. He doesn't bury them in the ground at home because he knows when he's gone, 
Nobody's looking after his stuff. And he takes his precious things and he commits them. He trusts them and deposits them into the care of a trusted friend. Okay? And here, Peter says, you entrust your soul. You deposit that precious part of you. Okay? With Jesus. You do what Jesus did. In Luke 23, verse, 40, um, verse 46, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is at the end of his life. The veil has been rent. He has had, he, this is his seventh of seven statements from the cross. And he cries out with a loud voice. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Okay, Jesus entrusted his spirit into the hands of the Father. So, Forge family, I want to go back to verse 16. Okay, where it says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. For in that name, let him glorify. So you all wear the name of Jesus and you are Christian. You walk in the name of Jesus and you are Christian. You trust in the name of Jesus and you are Christian. You love that name and you are Christian. Okay? See, when, when, when you accept him and you love him, you know, you take on him what his name is. Someone's name is their works, their character, and their reputation. So when we love him and we receive him and we walk in him and wear him and trust in him, his works, his reputation become ours. So when you suffer in that name, you glorify Verse 14 says that when that happens, the spirit of God's glory and power rests on you. And it refreshes you. The spirit of God's glory and power comes to surround you when you suffer. So get ready. It's available to you in that moment. Let me read Charles Wesley's lyrics out of a well-known hymn. He says, Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing, and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again I say, rejoice. See, Charles Wesley got what Peter was preaching. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless you.